Time to abandon ship. Here we go. Can I persuade you to join us for a drink? It's a tradition. Here, here. Jaja, homie, my main man. Quickly, before the separatists attack, get into the escape pod. Hey, and welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod. I'm your host, Josh, and today we are going to be talking about George Lucas, Bob Iger, Disney, Lucasfilm, the whole sale process that George went through of uh, selling the company. There's been a lot of buzz recently online uh, that's been resurfacing old wounds, I guess uh, is one way to say it, for George Lucas. Uh, Bob Iger more recently published a book. Uh, the book is called Ride of a Lifetime as CEO of the Walt Disney Company. So uh, Bob Iger, if you didn't know, is the CEO of, of Disney and uh, he published a book uh, more recently that talks about his career and, and, and what he's had to do, lesson learned from 15 years as CEO of the Walt Disney Company. So uh, forgive me if I can't remember, but I, I don't know if he's retiring soon or, or what, but uh, you know, uh, whatever the case, he's decided to write a book about his job. And uh, one of those... Uh, one of the parts in the book that it goes over is it does cover the events of the purchase of Lucasfilm and and the uh, the ordeal with the sequel trilogy, getting that off the ground and and all that stuff. So uh, I'll read off the description here of the book on Amazon, but it's listed for seventeen dollars and twenty twenty six cents uh, hardcover. Uh, Kindle is $14.76, so uh, not that I'm being uh, sponsored or paid to say that, I'm just uh, saying that for your own uh, personal curiosity. It was available on the 23rd, and uh, here reads the summary. A grand vision defined. The CEO of Disney, one of the times, uh, one of time's most influential pe people of 2019, shares the ideas and values he embraced to reinvent one of the most beloved companies in the world and inspire the people who bring the magic to life. Robert Iger became CEO of the Walt Disney Company in 2005 during a difficult time. Competition was more intense than ever, and technology was changing faster than any time in the company's history. His vision came down to three clear ideas. Recommit to the concept that quality matters, embrace technology instead of fighting it, and think bigger. Think global and turn Disney into a stronger brand in international markets. 12 years later, Disney is the largest, most respected media company in the world, counting Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, and 20th Century Fox among its properties. Its value is nearly five times what it was when Iger took over, and he is recognized as one of the most innovative and successful CEOs of our era. In the ride of a lifetime, Robert Iger shares the lessons he's learned while running Disney and leading its 200,000 employees. And he explores the principles that are necessary for true leadership, including optimism, 
even in the face of difficulty, an optimistic leader will find the path toward the best possible outcome and focus on that, rather than give in to pessimism and blaming. Courage. Leaders have to be willing to take risks and big place big bets. Fear of failure destroys creativity. Decisiveness. All decisions, no matter how difficult, may, can be made on a timely basis. Indecisiveness is both wasteful and destructive to morale. Fairness. Treat people decently with empathy and be accessible to them. This book is about the relentless curiosity that has driven Iger for 45 years since the day he started as the lowliest studio grunt at ABC. It's also about thoughtfulness and respect and a decency over dollars approach that has become the bedrock of every project and partnership Iger pursues, from a deep friendship with Steve Jobs in his final years to an abiding love of the Star Wars mythology. The ideas in this book strike me as universal, Iger writes, not just to the aspiring CEOs of the, CEOs of the world, but to anyone wanting to feel less fearful, more confidently themselves, as they navigate their professional and even more professional lives. So that's the book that Bob Iger wrote recently. And uh, what, what I'm really interested in is the part that he talks about George Lucas and uh, the sequel trilogy. Uh, George Lucas, uh, as we, we all know, uh, had treatments for the sequel trilogy before he sold the company. And I, I just want to walk through a few things that kind of happened before this resurfaced uh, because there's a lot of articles online saying, uh, headlining Bob Iger reveals that George Lucas felt betrayed by Disney uh, when you know the Star Wars plans were revealed and, and all this and that. And uh, I, I just want to put a few things to rest out there because there are quite a lot of people that are you know, being re-fired up again about this, which uh, is actually an issue that was uh, a couple years ago already. And, uh, you know, there, there was that interview that, that George had, uh, I believe it was on uh, uh, Charlie Rose or something. Charlie, Charlie Rose, let's look this up. Charlie Rose, George Lucas interview. Yeah, so if you Google search Charlie Rose, uh, George Lucas, uh, you'll get uh, a bunch of YouTube videos and clips online that uh, are called George Lucas calls Disney white slavers in Charlie Rose. So, so he, uh, you know, he George Lucas in this interview after selling the company talks about this big breakup with the company, with his property, with Star Wars, uh, how he thought Star Wars was, uh, you know, he thought of the world of, of those films and, and he thought of them like his own kids. Um, so he does talk about about that to Charlie Rose and and uh, the internet was fired up about it and uh, I believe he had to issue an apology of some kind later on because it was just very unprofessional of him at the time to call Disney a bunch of white slavers and and nobody knew why because there was all this hype for the Force Awakens and and uh, and all that and uh, you know from from the get go I've always been on the side of George Lucas and no matter no matter what side it's been on I've always had a heart for. George and and what he's brought to this world and what he created, uh, what, what came out of that amazing imaginative head uh, as a filmmaker, just what he's done for the industry as a whole and uh, the technology that he has brought to the planet through Star Wars, through those movies, through his experiments on those movies. And whether he's a good uh, dialogue writer or not, 
uh, he is a master filmmaker and a legend. And I, I just wanted to put that out there before I, I get into all of this, just so you know that I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not exactly hating on George Lucas here at all. It's quite the opposite. I, I love George Lucas and uh, I'm, I'm quite a fan. And um, yeah, so so uh, we, we start off, I guess, back when George was considering to sell the company. Uh, it, there's a podcast out there, actually, I'd, I'd like to mention called uh, The Making of Star Wars. And it's a it's a short series that talks about uh, George's life uh, during the upbringing of the original trilogy and a lot of his inspirations, his motivations, the struggles that he had to endure creating the series. I, I highly, highly recommend watching or listening to this series. It, it's it's absolutely phenomenal. They 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 give it the most amazing, uh, almost like a biopic, but it's it's a. Uh, they take every every reference possible that they found, um, and uh, they they throw it all together and and essentially create this biography in in audio form. And uh, it, it's not exactly dramatized, but it is pulled off in a way that uh, that that you know that George has a voice and other people have their own voices and and, and everything. So it is somewhat uh, unabridged, I guess you can call it. So. Uh, uh, yeah, George. Uh, George was, uh, you know, he, there was a bit of a gap between the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, and there was a, so much hype for the prequels. So I'm just jumping back to the '90s here when we're 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 talking about the prequels right now. How he got those off the ground, and uh, a lot of fans were were let down. A lot of fans, uh, not including myself. Uh, because I happen to love those movies. Uh, not that I saw all of them in the theater. Uh, I was not there for the the opening night of The Phantom Menace or anything, but uh, it, it's easy enough to find footage online of, of that night, and there's a lot of stoked fans out there. And a lot of fans were, were also somewhat disappointed with the result when they when they came out of the theater. But, uh, you know, George George made his movies. He made the prequels, and, and he had the flack given to him and uh, I, I can imagine he didn't appreciate it too much but you know he's he said well you know at, at some points he's he said that there's always going to be people that don't don't like you know what what comes out the door sort of thing but uh, I, I guess yeah, I'm just happy that he wasn't discouraged in making uh, you know not making the rest of them you know it's not like he bailed on completing the saga this uh, this has always been about George's story, a story that he wants to tell. Uh, it's always been about George seeking control over his story, uh, and that which was a problem in the first place from from when he got the first one off the ground. Uh, finding somebody to finance the project was was difficult in itself. And if you listen to that Making Star Wars podcast, you'll you'll come to realize that he went through so much just to get the money to finance that first movie. And uh, as as part of the agreement with 20th Century Fox, he negotiated that he got the rights to every sequel. And, you know, to their surprise, it became a huge success. They thought it would be a huge failure. And uh, and then George was, you know, knock, they were knocking on George's door kind of thing for for uh, another another movie to be made. And George at that point had the rights to the sequels, and and they said, oh, okay, well, you know, we'll give you the money again. And he said, no, 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 I don't, I don't think you understand. I have the money. He he built all the money off of the toys. So the Empire Strikes Back was financed on toy sales from the first movie, 
and uh, and and of course whatever cut he got. George George reinvested in his story to tell another chapter. And the fact that George wanted control and and uh, sought to tell the story uh, in the first place is just a big part that you have to keep in the back burner there because it plays a big, massive part later on. But uh, yeah, George A sought control over his own story and B wanted to tell that story with a passion, uh, with so much passion that he went through uh, blood, sweat and tears to get it made. And, uh, you know, aren't we all thankful for that? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he later on uh, made the prequels and did what he could to make those and, and, and you know, reinvented the wheel again with digital effects and brought uh, digital cinematography as uh, projectors, digital projectors to, to every theater almost across North America. Uh, so not only did he change the way the films were made, but uh, he also changed the way that people, people watch the movies. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's cool in itself. And, and Star Wars has always been his passion, his not only just a way for him to tell his story, but a way for him to also spin the wheel one more time and, and get a piece of technology out there that we didn't have before. Uh, just like in Star Wars A New Hope, uh, there was uh, ILM was tasked with creating uh, a piece of technology that would allow them to complete the shots that they needed to do. And without digital effects, they were reliant on models and practical effects. And a lot of that had to be shot with uh, repetitive camera motion. So they invented the Dijkstra. And the Dijkstra camera motion system basically made it possible for them to even make Star Wars. Because without that camera rig, they wouldn't have made any of the ILM shots back in that first movie, which wouldn't have made any of the sequels. So... Uh, you know, this this really, you know, the, the series has not only been a story that he wants to tell, wants to, you know, uh, get out there, but uh, it's it's also been a way for him to advance filmmaking. And, and that's something that a lot of other directors have benefited from over the years. And, and I'm sure if you talk to most directors these days, they will tell you that Star Wars has been an inspiration for them uh, at some point in their career. So... Uh, yeah, that and and just the way that it's been telling stories. It's been a way that uh, back when the first movie was made, it's it was a, a way of telling stories in a way that uh, people didn't watch movies back then. It was kids didn't have movies to watch. Uh, there was there was no movies in the theater back in 77 for kids. I mean, you know, if you look back at the records, there's there's nothing. There's uh, there's movies for adults and there's, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of uh, stuff based around the war and and all that, which is going on at the time uh, or just before that. And, uh, you, you know, you really get a sense of, OK, there was no fairy tales. There was no adventures. There was no a good kid friendly action films that that were out there and and george just made it happen and he made a movie happen that even adults love too because it was so incredibly magical something so new that people hadn't seen before and every single movie that he's done in the franchise so far under his name at least uh he has pulled off something that people have seen as a spectacle so whether he writes bad dialogue or not, I don't even want to bring that up through the rest of this conversation. I know there's a lot of people out there that do have negative thoughts and feelings towards George Lucas, but I hope that after listening to the Making Star Wars podcast and perhaps uh, what I have to say today, uh, you know, perhaps that you soften up a bit for the situation at hand. So George got a lot of flack for the prequels, and uh, I think that carried through over the years. 
Um, there was a large gap between when he finished Revenge of the Sith in 2005 and sold the company, uh, which was about, which was about, uh, let's see, here, seven seven years later. Yeah, I think 2012. The the conversation came up uh, that he was selling the company. So, uh, yeah. So it, it, you know, it started in 2012 and went through to 2013, which is when the sale was, I guess, finalized or something. But uh, yeah, you know, it took seven years. And in those seven years, he produced uh, the Clone Wars. And I don't know what happened during those years of producing the Clone Wars. A lot of fans loved the Clone Wars. In fact, it was one of the things that there was a huge outcry for when Disney bought the company and canceled the Clone Wars. But, uh, you know, the, the flack of the prequels still carried over through that time. And I remember having conversations back then with with friends of mine who still had negative feelings towards those films, and and since then a lot of those friends have changed their minds. But it was an era of time where there was no more Star Wars live action films being made or 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 produced or uh, even announced. Uh, there there was nothing. There was just the Clone Wars, and we had rumors that there was a live action TV show in production. And that there were scripts being written. So there was those two. There was the Clone Wars. There was the the scripts that were produced for the live action TV show over the years, and there was an animated show in the works called Star Wars Detours, which uh, to this day people still haven't seen. And uh, there was a few games in development. I believe uh, uh, Star Wars thirteen thirteen was a, a video game that uh, Lucas Arts was developing, and. Uh, I believe there was one more as well, which uh, was supposed to be kind of like Uncharted style. Uh, I, I, I know a lot less about that one. It, there was some leaked online gameplay about that game or something. And and uh, yeah, it, it was, I believe it, it focused on a planet that looked similar to Jeddah, uh, which ended up getting featured in Rogue One. But uh, yeah, whatever the case, uh, there was a bunch of stuff going on in Lucasfilm, not live action movies. And uh, I guess the prequels had still had an existing flack because those were the previous mil- movies being made that people were still, I guess, somewhat disappointed with, or at least a lot of people were. And, um, you know, that that was probably a huge, uh, a, a huge reason why George just didn't want to make the sequels. Because the sequels this entire time were brewing in his head and yet he had nothing down on them. He, he didn't know what to do for them fully and, and uh, there was no plan in the works. What he did though was formulate a plan to make those movies, I guess with the partnership of another company that would be financing and uh, applying their directors and, and whatever uh, to the film. Uh, something that he could essentially retire but still retain control over the story. So George had written at some point in time, uh, probably just you know rough outlines, but uh, he called them, I believe, treatments. So he'd done treatments for the sequel trilogy, being episodes seven, eight, and nine, uh, and and those treatments were handed off to a very select few people. Those treatments were handed off to, I believe, his newly appointed CEO, uh, which was Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, I, I believe Bob Iger had access to those. And uh, I, I think it was Alan, some, someone or another. Alan, uh, he's, a, he's a big shot, big shot in Disney. Um, 
Uh, Alan Disney. Alan. Alan. Is it Alan. Alan Menken, I believe. Uh, yeah, Alan. No, not Alan Menken. No, I'm sorry, not Alan Menken. Uh, it was a different Alan. And uh, oh, Alan. Alan Horn is it? Alan, Alan Horn. That's right. Yeah, Alan Frederick Horn. Uh, was the uh, uh, chief creative officer and co-chairman of Walt Disney Studios. So Alan, Bob, Kathleen, and I believe uh, the announced director of Episode 7, which ended up being J.J. Abrams, got access to those treatments. So before selling the the company to Lucasfilm, he had made uh, the treatments for the sequel trilogies. You know, he, he'd given those to uh, to Bob Iger and and the, the rest of those four, and and basically, you know, expected them to use those in in uh, the the uh, the sequels. And there's a little quote here from Bob online. Uh, which basically goes, um, he said, he says, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay, uh, he says, we decided we needed to buy them, the chief exec rights uh, of the decision made with the studio head, Alan Horn, uh, quote, uh, though we made it clear in the purchase agreement that we would not be contractually obligated to adhere to the plot lines he'd laid out. Uh, end quote. So, you know, it, it's natural for to assume that Disney would not buy a company that they had to stick to obligations of telling a specific story. It's like, it's like here, uh, it's like saying, hey, buy my car, but uh, you can only drive it over there and and down the street over here and and to the grocery store and back. You know, it's like you can't take all these side streets. It's It's not for you, even though you've bought my car, you know. Uh, it's a little weird to say. So, you know, nobody's going to buy a company that they have to oblige by, uh, you know, creative decisions already being made, especially when the whole point of the company is to, you know, creatively come up with with new films and and whatnot. So, you know, it's fair enough to say that Disney wasn't going to sign a contract which buys Lucasfilm and the, uh, you know, the the whole promise of making these these films. So, you know, they, they George ended up going through with the purchase of Lucasfilm or the selling the purchase of uh, to selling the company to Disney who, who uh, you know, who, who purchased uh, Lucasfilm. So, uh, you know, he went through with it and uh, and it says on this on this this article that I'm I'm using as reference here, it says that uh, as it turned out, Disney and Lucasfilm didn't follow Lucas's lead for the new movies, a decision Lucas discovered when Lucasfilm head Kathleen Kennedy and Star Wars The Force Awakens writers J.J. Abrams and, oh, and Michael Arndt, who uh, were, were, uh, was writing uh, the sequel at the time, which was episode seven. Uh, they met to discuss the new trilogy and specifically the 2015 installment, which was now what we know as The Force Awakens. So uh, they had a meeting with George, and and it says here, quote uh, from uh, Bob Iger, George immediately got uh, uh, got upset as they began to describe the plot, and it dawned on him that we weren't using one of the stories he submitted during the negotiations. George knew we weren't contractually bound to anything, but he thought that our buying the story treatments was a tacit promise that we'd follow through with them. And he was disappointed that his story was being discarded. 
I'd be so careful since our conversation not uh, I'd been so careful since our conversation not to mislead him in any way and I didn't think I had now but I could have handled it better so uh you know uh, he also added George felt betrayed and while this whole process would never have been easy for him we'd gotten off to an unnecessarily rocky start and uh you know he says uh, that Lucas didn't uh, hide his disappointment uh, and that's when the Charlie Rose uh, interview came in, I guess, uh, a year or so later. And, uh, you know, in retrospect, uh, Lucas is complaining to Charlie Rose that he sold uh, Lucasfilm to a bunch of white slavers, which, um, you know, uh, was, is a bit bold for public media. But, you know, he, yeah, he's, he's uh, obviously still hurting from the whole uh, process that he had to undergo with Disney and, and Bob and Kathleen Kennedy just almost turning their backs on him. And this entire time, through every single uh, movie that, that George produced through Star Wars, uh, he, he suffered through people uh, either turning their back on him or undergoing some sort of struggle or, or pioneering some sort of piece of technology that had, to, that had to be done to make the movie possible. Whatever it was, George... And Star Wars have always suffered through some sort of issue, some sort of pain. And and here it was again, even selling the company, even going out the door to his retirement. Uh, you know, he, he sold the company anyways with uh, with no ties to them having to need to write these sequel treatments that he'd come up with. And yet, uh, you know, here they were bringing him pain by by not following his outlines and going with their own ideas and their own script which now we know as uh jj abrams and lawrence kasdan who wrote the force awakens so michael aren't at this point left the project or or either either he got fired or one or an, like i don't even know what exactly happened to michael aren't all i know is that michael aren't was not involved with uh the production of the force awakens um in fact um, i'm just searching up his imdb right now just to just to verify that that is the case. Uh, but, uh, oh no, he is credited as a writer on The Force Awakens. Sorry, I apologize for about that. Uh, yeah, so he is accredited as a writer on The Force Awakens. Uh, I remember reading an article saying that he had left the project, but uh, perhaps that was not the case. Um uh, let's let's do a little more search here. Yeah, Michael Arndt reveals rejected plots from Star Wars: The Force Awakens and a much larger role for, and then now it's been that redacted. Um, yeah, so Michael Arndt essentially reveals some early he re reveals early draft uh, plot details on The Force Awakens, and uh, he you know he did mention Luke Skywalker was a much bigger force in the movie uh he says quote on this article from indiewire.com he says early on i tried to write versions of the story where ray is at home her home is destroyed and then she goes on the road and meets luke and then she goes and kicks the bad guy's ass michael Arndt says uh quote it just never worked and i struggled with this it was back in 2012 end quote apparently the issue was luke's presence was always upstaging everyone in the script and then uh, Michael Arndt says again, it just felt like every time Luke came in and entered the movie, he just took it over, end quote. 
So, uh, yeah, so he says, oh, uh, another quote here. So, uh, quote, uh, suddenly you didn't care about your main character anymore because, uh, oh, and then he swears, uh, Luke Skywalker's here. I want to see what he's going to do, end quote. So, you know, uh, the, the script just didn't work with Michael Arndt. Uh, Michael Arndt was was helping out with, uh, with the story and it, and it just ended up, you know, not working out with, with, with him, I guess. Uh, he still has the writing credit. I guess, uh, but there is another article online from HollywoodReporter.com, which indeed it says my writer Michael Arn exits Star Wars Episode Seven. Uh, director J.J. Abrams and longtime Lucasfilm collaborator Lawrence Kasdan are handling script duties for the franchise's newest installment. So, I guess in the meeting uh, that George had, which was earlier on. He was revealed in the meeting by uh, by J.J. Abrams, Kathleen Kennedy, uh, Bob Iger, and perhaps Alan, uh, that uh, that you know they were taking this sequel trilogy in a different direction from what from what he had. And I, I believe there were threads that they cycled back in. If you look online or in the Art of the Force Awakens book, you will see some concept art that looks reminiscent of uh, Ray or uh, a very young. Uh, ben Solo, perhaps, uh, and uh, I believe the characters were Kira and Sam, or something. Uh, that's the names that they'd given them, at least. And uh, and it was uh, George at, on another interview said that his versions of the films was uh, supposed to go into a, a microbiotic world. Um, he said that uh, uh, there is this world of creatures that operate differently than we do. I call them the wills. And the wills are the ones who actually control the universe. They feed off of the force. Uh, George also says everyone hated uh, it in The Phantom Menace when we started talking about midi-chlorians. Uh, and he also revealed that vehicles for the wills to travel around in. And the conduit is the midi-chlorians. The midi-chlorians are that, uh, the ones that communicate with the wills, and the wills, in a general sense, uh, they are the force. So, uh, Lucas is confident that if he kept the company, the wars, uh, the wills would have uh, been a focus in those films, uh, just like they had mentioned about them in The Phantom Menace. So, he was really going to take ties, uh, or, or threads, I guess, thre story threads, that would have... Uh, that that were started in the prequel trilogy. I'm assuming things about the wills, midi chlorians, uh, probably touching up on uh, the prophecy of the chosen one. I believe uh, at some point, I'm sure George Lucas would have brought back Hayden Christensen as a uh, perhaps a Luke Skywalker-ish role, perhaps uh, you know, in terms of a Force ghost or maybe a Yoda Force ghost-ish role uh, that like what we got in the the Last Jedi. Uh, you know, it, it's very possible that we could have seen Mark Hamill interacting as Luke Skywalker with his father uh, once again as Anakin Skywalker. You know, Hayden Christensen. So, I, I honestly like, I would have loved to have seen George's sequels so much. Like, I you know, and George is George is right. Like, people would have probably hated them. People would have probably you know thought that he was destroying star wars and you know he's you know he's getting too scientific and too deep into you know the the symbiotic relationships of uh, of this and that and uh you know it's but you know here's the thing it's george's story and this has been in his head for a very long time uh it, it's not exactly like he just came up with this stuff yesterday i mean like these he had a very long gap between 
Return of the Jedi and The Phantom Menace. And and, it, and The Phantom Menace took him a longer time to make than I think most of the other movies did. So, you know, from the writing process, he did have... He's always had a an existing origin for the Force. It ha- It's not just what Yoda describes it to be, which is this, you know, mystical energy field. Uh, it's not what Ben, you know, as Ben describes it to be. It, like, it, like it, it is that, but from a certain point of view. And, and that's where the key is. Like, from the original trilogy, George has always thrown that in there, that it, everything is what it is from a certain point of view. And his point of view about the Force is something he would have gotten into in the sequel trilogy. And I would have loved to have seen it uh, because George is the creator. He's the maker. He's the man. And, and you know, anything that comes out of his head is, is just, if you're a, a solid Star Wars fan to the core, I'm sure you would have appreciated those films uh, just as much as you would have with the prequels. And, uh, you know, it's just such a shame that we didn't get to see those because over the last couple of years, uh, of course, we've had uh, just the same, if not even more flack about the sequels that Disney's given us, uh, specifically The Last Jedi. And uh, we had the solo flop happen. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone saw a Star Wars film failing at the box office, but we did. And, uh, you know, it, uh, there was a mixed opinions on Rogue One. I personally really liked that movie and I liked Solo quite a bit. Uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of The Force Awakens uh, or The Last Jedi, uh, mainly just because of the direction that they've taken the sequel trilogy and knowing what I'm missing out on, uh, you know, something that we would have gotten from George on the other hand of things. Uh, but I mean, I don't consider them bad movies. I don't consider them badly written. Uh, you know, I, I think there was a lot of wasted opportunity in those films, but, uh, you know, I don't think they're terrible. Uh, it's, I, I just, I'm not to say that I'm as hurt as George Lucas is, but I'm just disappointed that those films didn't end up, uh, taking advantage of the fact that Carrie and Harrison and Mark were still around, uh, you know, at that point and Peter, um, and uh, and Kenny Kenny Baker who played who played uh, R two D two, I believe uh, I believe he died slightly uh, yeah slightly after the Force Awakens came out he died the thirteenth of August in twenty sixteen. So the entire gang was was still around when the Force Awakens was being produced, and we don't even get to see Luke, Leia, and and Han together on screen. So uh, there was, you know, not that I'm using this to complain about the sequel trilogy. It's just, it's just, um, I, I'm just disappointed that uh, that they thought that having Luke Skywalker on screen again, even though he steals the show was uh, that I, I'm, 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 it makes me sad to think that they thought it was a good idea to take him out of the movie and, and, and to have the whole movie focus on finding Lou Skywalker and, you know, and people love The Force Awakens. People, you know, it was a huge financial success. Can't, can't argue with that. But there was a huge missed opportunity there. And I know if Luke Skywalker was in the film, people wouldn't have cared about the new characters as much. But... I'm sure people would, over the course of three movies, I'm sure there would have been an adjustment if it was played right. If the cards were played right, there would have been some sort of 
uh, adjustment period to loving those characters just as much as uh, as the old ones. Uh, in the prequels, I mean, we already had a pre-established relationship with Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, or Ben Kenobi. So, uh, you know, we, and, and it's not like the whole prequel trilogy was gravitated towards you know the 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 young obi-wan kenobi it's like uh, you know we got new characters and and you know we we love those characters it, you know if you love the prequels i'm sure you love qui-gon jinn i'm sure you you know loved uh padme amidala uh a lot of people have mixed opinions on how anakin was portrayed i think he has been portrayed perfectly fine by both jake lloyd and hayden christensen but um uh, you know, it, it's just those were, uh, well, at least not Anakin specifically, but, uh, you know, he's, as he's been Darth Vader, we already had a pre-established relationship with him. But uh, as far as Padme and, and uh, you know, and Windu and, and Qui-Gon Jinn and uh, goes, it, you know, it, it was it was more or less a, a new relationship that uh, people built uh, attachments to those characters as we as the movies went by. And that was fine. You know, I didn't feel like the Phantom Menace drew attention away from, uh, you know, those characters at all just because we knew Obi-Wan Kenobi well. And, you know, just because we know Luke Skywalker well doesn't mean we we uh, would have, you know, been gravitated towards that over over a character like Kira or, or, or a.k.a. Rey, I guess, in the movie. Um, so, you know, that, that's my little bit on that. And, you know, you feel free to disagree. But uh, I, I just don't think that having Luke in the film takes away from the rest of the movie. Uh, I think it's a huge opportunity to have him in the movie. And and while we still have Mark Hamill around, and while we still had all these other actors around, and uh, yeah, so um, I think that was probably one of the biggest oversights that, that happened uh, when this whole transition of the company happened when the whole sequel trilogy done by disney happened when they decided to discard george's ideas and throw them out the window and uh going back to that uh you know bob Iger writes about that in his book of course which is what we're talking about and 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 uh you know he says he said uh that uh you know george felt betrayed and while this whole process would have never been easy for him we'd gotten off to an unnecessarily rocky start and that's you know and he says that knowing that george despite not using his ideas they would have still used him and they still have used him as a creative consultant and as a creative consultant you know he's once in a while you know he's made a guest appearance on on each film i guess on set he's come on to set for like a day or maybe two days or something um and you know it's always big news whenever he does that it's been it's been posted online uh, but, you know, it's it's just a shame that he hasn't been more involved than what he is so far, because the first that he sees those movies is is pretty much when he shows up on the red carpet. And he does that out of out of courtesy, professional courtesy. Uh, I don't believe he's a he likes seeing the newest Star Wars movies because, you know, I, I believe in his heart. He still looks at those as his movies that somebody else is now tampering with, which he does not have control over. And that's something that he's been always pushing for since the beginning. Now, on on the other hand, I mean, like, I, I don't... Uh, obviously, I can't argue with Disney in the sense that, you know, even though they didn't stick to his ideas, uh, it's, it's very fair to say if George 
in the bottom of his heart really wanted those sequel movies to be made the way he wanted them made, he would have made those before he sold the company. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's worth noting that because he didn't. But I think that, you know, even though Bob Iger warned him about that, that they couldn't use his ideas for the sequel trilogy, possibly, you know, if they if they wanted to take it in a different direction, he mentioned to George, they are going to be doing so, you know, he's, you know, they're not ready to buy his company if they have to stick to his, his commands, right? So uh, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, you know, if George should just made those sequel movies, if he really, really wanted those made and that story told, he would have done that and then sold the company. Uh, with plans for maybe spin-off movies or whatever. So, uh, you know, you know, whatever warning that he got from Bob or, or, or whoever he spoke to for advice uh, at the time, it obviously wasn't enough to discourage him from selling Lucasfilm anyways. But I think that if the right person talked to him in the time that he was considering selling the company while he was writing those sequel trilogy treatments... I don't believe that he would have sold the company. And I don't believe that if you were to do it over again, I'm convinced if you were to do it over again, he wouldn't have sold the company and he would have stuck with Lucasfilm until he got the sequels out there and then he would have sold the company. Uh, and, And that's just him knowing what he's feeling today and uh, what he had to go through back then when they discarded his his scripts, his uh, treatments on the on those three films, uh, and 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 whatever else. So uh, yeah, it's just it's just been floating around online that it's you know it's it's resurfaced because this is all old news, of course. But because Bob Iger wrote this book, uh, I, I'm actually very happy that Bob Iger covered this in his book. I think it would be very unfair not to uh, for somebody, uh, you know. Lucasfilm is now a very big part of Disney, and if this wasn't covered in that section, uh, I, I feel like it would have been, you know, uh, sweeping something under the rug still, even though he is, you know, talking about his life and his career and everything and uncovering a lot of, of, of stones that, you know, we are able to, we're able to peer into his life a little bit. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, only, it's only fair that we, we get a, a better glimpse at what happened between George and, and Bob and uh, Kathy and uh, and J.J. Abrams back when they were figuring out that initial plan for the sequels. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I just uh, wanted to cover that because it is floating online. And uh, The Rise of Skywalker, Episode 9, comes out in December this year. You know, it's, it's very convenient timing that this article actually, or this book surfaced just before that movie came out because you know again it just (laughs) it just brings up that that uh that trilogy that we missed out on uh because of the sale of the company but there's a lot of fans out there who've loved what disney's done so far i'm a huge fan of rogue one and solo i thought they were both fantastic i didn't i i I had very little faith in solo before they made it and and as soon as i saw it in the theater I, i thought it was fantastic and i thought they did a tremendous good job uh you know at at piecing together uh, you know, bits and and pieces from the expanded universe they threw in there. They, you know, there was there was a whole bunch that they a bunch of fan servicing that happened in in Solo, which uh, trays a uh, pays tribute to uh, both the Clone Wars, which is very much part of canon, and what George had done for the franchise before he sold it, 
uh, and the, the 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 previous film. So, uh, yeah, huge fans of those two movies. Uh, can't really say the same about the Last Jedi or or the Force Awakens, but you know, I am semi looking forward to the Rise of Skywalker more or less. So just to f- figure out how they finish it all off. JJ's got a huge job ahead of him, and uh, you know, quite frankly, even though I wasn't a fan of his previous works on the Force Awakens. Uh, it was a good movie, and uh, even though I thought there was a lot of wasted opportunities in there, uh, you know, that J.J. Abrams is a, a very talented guy, uh, you know, he knows what he's doing, and I, I just wish him all the best uh, in the editing room as he pieces together uh, episode 9 and finishes it off for, for us in the best way possible. I know he's giving it his all right now. And, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my heart goes out to him for taking on this tremendous, uh, challenge. It's something that I'm sure after the whole ordeal with the last Jedi and, you know, the boycott of Solo and whatnot, I'm sure it's not exactly, uh, an easy task to take on mentally, you know, knowing that there's that much criticism out there and, uh, you know, and just seeing the way it affected George over the years as well, just to the point of, uh, taking an early retirement, uh, or, or I guess a, a fair enough aged retirement, but, you know, too early in the sense that, uh, you know, he could have stuck with it longer and, and done more if, if he knew, I think, how hurt he would be uh, once all this stuff went down. So, yeah. Anyhow, uh, thanks for joining. I, it's, a, it's a little bit of a less happy episode, but I did want to address that uh, that news online and 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 whatnot. But uh, either way, thanks again for uh, joining us right here in the Escape Pod, uh, and uh, we're hoping to cover uh, the Clone Wars in chronological order with the next episode. Uh, we've we've done a few recordings already, and and we're starting with. Um, with the first two on the the list, so if you if you do a Google search for the chronological uh, episode order of, of of Star Wars: The Clone Wars, uh, you'll be able to find a blog article from StarWars.com, and from the top down, it starts with season two, episode sixteen, Cat and Mouse, and season one, episode sixteen, Hidden Enemy. Third on the list would be the Clone Wars theatrical release. So, uh, my co-host uh, Diego will be uh, will be meeting him up and uh, watching the Clone Wars with him. He's never watched the Clone Wars before, and uh, oh, he's watched the theatrical film back in 2008 and wasn't depressed back then. But uh, as of all the time that's gone by and his reevaluation and point of view of uh, both the prequels and the Clone Wars and uh, the sale of Lucasfilm and Disney and and uh, you know the fact that he misses George Lucas quite a bit, uh, I pointed him in the direction of the Clone Wars and and said to him, "Is hey, this is the last thing that that George did before he sold the company. Like you really got to check this out." And uh, you know he's he's agreed to watch it with me. So. Uh, you know, step by step, I'm going to be taking him through until he gets to the point of, uh, you know, him being able to watch on his own end and, and we'll be able to, you know, uh, get together and, and, and chat in a more large sum. So the first episode that's going to be based on that is just going to be covering the first two episodes on the list and uh, we'll see what happens from there. But I'm looking forward to uh, you all joining us for that. So, uh, yeah, plenty of good stuff ahead. And, uh, and once again, thanks again for joining us in the Escape Pod. I'm your host, Josh, uh, and may the force be with you.